All right. Good morning. If you happen to be a guest, your first, second, maybe third time, please do us a favor, fill out this registration, rip it off, drop it in the offering plate, or if you need to correspond with, correspond with us about something like you want to get baptized or join or whatever, this is the place also that you do it. You fill it out, drop it, and let us know. Uh, on the back, again, I'll let you read all the stuff that you want to read, except to point out uh, VBS, our Vacation Bible School. Uh, Miss Carrie told me that they are full. Um, they are now putting people on a waiting list, and that's a good thing. Um, but if you really want your kid or grandchild to come, sign them up anyway, because there's always some that drop out, and uh, you might be one of the ones that get to get in. So. Anyway, that and along with indoor soccer, read all about what's coming up uh, on your own if you would. Let's stand and welcome somebody around us to church.
different version. We like it.
share a song with you. If you know it, you can sing with us. After I grab some water here. <clears throat> I love that song by Crowder, don't you? Mm -hmm. Telling that how much God loves us, no matter what, because he is love. He can't do anything but love you. Maybe correct our you know, behavior and on and on, but he does love you. So we're gonna sing a song about she did this to me in the first service, and I didn't know anything about it. So I didn't have any thoughts or anything until it just, like, you know, okay. But I had the last service to really think about this song even a little more. And I think what this song really focuses in on, first of all, is that everybody here this morning, you're in the same boat as everybody else here this morning. Every one of us has been born into sin. We are born with, a, with sin in our heart. And there's only one way that that's ever gonna go away. And that's because Jesus bled and died for us. And he gave his life for us. And that's the only way that we're gonna be changed. And sometimes as believers, we are called to what? Take the gospel to our friends and our family. And this song, this song kind of goes on those lines. Um, because it talks about meeting with someone that we recognize has the same issues that we had. We've had them one time or another, but we're able to give them the gospel and say, you know what? Jesus knows the song of your broken heart. where to find you I've hidden here many times before I recognize your mask I've worn it too I'm not here to point a finger I'm not here to change your mind just want to sit here for a while and talk to you have you ever felt thrown away you stuff and left behind like your heart was born to break and you've given up the fight well i am here to say he can take what's big enough to make something beautiful even the song of a broken heart the song of a broken heart You've got your walls, you've got your reasons You're just fine with not believing And I'm a broken bastard playing the same old line And you can't hide behind your questions It may serve you for a time But you can't hide a broken heart behind a smile Have you ever been thrown away? Used up and left behind like your heart was born to break And you've given up the fight But I am here to say He can take what's beaten down To make something beautiful Even the song of a broken heart A song of a broken heart was the God man. He came with healing in his hand.
world was ready for his gifts, but not his plan. To hurt he was no stranger. Betrayed by those he trusted most, left to face his darkest, darkest night alone. He was thrown away, used up and left behind, cause he was born to pray. He stood up to the fight for a world that turned away. He was bruised and beaten to make something beautiful. He knows the song of a broken heart. 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 Listen. Jesus, sing me. And God, now as we uh, take up our tithes and offerings this morning, we pray that you would um, use them for your glory, that we use them so that others would know the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is mighty to save. So this morning, God, use it, bless it, and bless your people, and bless you. your name I pray, amen. Fair. 
<clears throat> bittersweet, you know, to know that they're graduating and uh, a lot of been here a lot, a lot of years. And um, we're not saying goodbye. We're just saying have a good time and come back. Um, but you know what? I was thinking about it after the uh, banquet last night and seeing this then on the way home, I was thinking, I have a little bit of hope for the future now. You know, there's there's some kids that can make a difference, you know, and um, it's it's not all bad like we, we hear. All you hear is bad. And I'm thinking, you know, for every five or six uh, kids that we hear about that really are doing some terrible things, there's got to be 500,000 that aren't, you know, and we need to start rejoicing in that. And um, anyway, if you're fairly new, um, this is our fifth sermon, and I have one more in this series on following the Lord, that he must increase, but really it's follow me. And if you miss some of those, yes, you've missed some of the background, but what I've tried to do that every pastor tries to do is to let every sermon stand on its own so that new people coming in for maybe the first or second time still can understand what you've been talking about. And I'm hoping that will happen in this one. This is probably um, after the first service, I said, man, I just, I felt so discombobulated. And yet people were saying, oh, we love the sermon, love the sermon. And I said, well, I didn't. But um, anyway, so I'm hoping that, that my intent will get you there today. Because what I'm talking about is that so many times in our life, when instead of following the Lord, we're just chasing the wind. And I want that to be the theme in your heart now and in your mind as we go through this today that we're talking about following the Lord. And I'm going to be giving you some examples and some biblical examples leading up to the two important points that I want to make um, from my own life. They are from my own life personally uh, of what it meant to follow the Lord and to quit living for the approval of people. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So um, it's really about discipleship and what it really means to totally follow the Lord Jesus. You know, Jesus made it pretty clear that people would know that we were his followers by the way we love. And I want to just say to you, this church really loves well. And, and I do. I thank you so much for that, for allowing God to work through you in that way. So, having said that, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 29, we will get there in about 10 minutes. Genesis 29. This idea of following the Lord, I, I really love this as, as a topic. You know, in Genesis, you read about God creating the world, of course. And he creates Adam, he creates Eve, he creates this Garden of Eden to put them in. And the garden is just a place where not only does he give them to live, but where he wants to be with them. And I think one of the more interesting uh, verses of Scripture found in Genesis 3 that I'm not sure exactly, well, what does it, you know, how did that happen and, and what does it really mean is where it talks about Adam and Eve that they heard the sound of God walking in the garden. You remember that? In the cool of the day. Um, and that the Lord, so you get this idea as you read that, that there's a God who just wanted to walk with them. 
Now, some of you that walk, um, and, and maybe you walk with somebody, um, it's not so much about the walk um, as it is being with someone. So it, it's remarkable to me that we get this idea from the Bible, and we just sang a lot about it, is that God wants to be with us. Did you know that? God wants to be with you. He wants to be there with you all the time. And we read this all the way through Scripture. You know, there was a character uh, in the Old Testament named Enoch, and we don't know hardly anything about him except that he walked with God. And he walked with God evidently in such a close relationship that the Lord just said, I'm going to bring you on up here with me. And he didn't have to die. He just was translated into heaven. I'm just saying the Bible goes out of the way to tell us all these different people that we know so well, like Joseph, that yes, he was a slave, and yes, he was in prison, and yes, God put him in this second in command of the, of the world power of Egypt at that time. But I want you to write this down. Not only is God with us when things are going well, but God is with us in the difficult times of our life. He's with us in the difficult times of our life. Remember, God, the Bible says, was with Moses. And he was with the people of Israel that he was leading out of Egypt. And he instructed them to build a tabernacle. Why? He said, that's the place I want to meet with them. And then later it was, I want you to build a temple. Why? That's the place I want to meet with them. Then we, we, know, we read about how God was with David over and over. But then you get up into the New Testament and you hear about Jesus. And we hear that one of his names was Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. So this whole theme seems to be that God really desires and wants to be with us. So we read that same thing again, as I said, uh, uh, of every character in the Bible. Now, it's like we human beings have been given this unbelievable glimpse um, of what it would be like to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to read with me in Matthew 16, verse 24, because this is an important statement that Jesus made. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and what's the last two words? Follow me. And I, as I've told you, I've gone through the Gospels, and I've found everywhere that's said, and it's said quite a few times, follow me, and, and, and written that down in the margin. Now, um, but he also says this in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's hard for us to understand and believe. You know, but what he's saying is anything of any significance, you know, I can go out and do things on my own, but anything of any significance, I've got to remain in the Lord. You know, and he says, look, I'm the vine and you're all these branches. And if you don't abide in me, you won't be able to do any of that. And that is one of the things that has helped me over the years um, of, of going now 42 years of getting to the place where I am now that I really do believe that the, the Lord has helped me to not care so much about what people are thinking and, and what he's thinking and, and following him. And I'm going to build up to that. We'll get there in a few minutes. Now, what he's saying here is that it is my primary responsibility when it comes to following Jesus, if you'll write this down, is to just be with him. Just be there with him. Amen? I mean, if I'm there with him, and abiding like a, a branch in a vine, then I'm naturally going to do the things that he wants to do. 
So if you're not, then the question would be, are you abiding in the Lord? Are you really still attached to him? So, you know, the remarkable, the miraculous, the loving thing, all that comes from abiding with the Lord. Now, I've got a confession, uh, and I'm going to confess several things today. Um, But here's my confession. For years, I have really wanted to follow the Lord Jesus. And if I'm honest, when I look at my life, my life, even now, I feel like at times is a mess. Anybody else? I mean, we just feel that way. I wanted God to make a difference in my life. But as I said, when I look at my past and I look at the things in the past and maybe things that I've said, thought, done, didn't think, say or do, I want to be consistent. That's what I wanted to be. You know, and I've I've had this struggle, and, and I know Paul had it. If you don't believe that, read Romans 7. But I've had this struggle um, to where I thought, well, you know, if I'm honest with church, the church, the most consistent thing about me is my inconsistency, <laughs> you know, that, that, that it just kind of hit and miss. Anybody else struggle with that? Yeah, we do. Uh, you know, it, it, it used to be embarrassing, and we pastors were, uh, even though we weren't verbally taught, you, you caught it, that you don't admit your weaknesses, you don't tell people that you're having struggles, but you know, the, the truth is there, there's this alarming gap at times between who I am and who I really want to be. Any of y'all kids, you ever have any of that? Who you really are? Who you really want to be? Sure. So what I'm going to do in just these few minutes is to talk about the primary thing in my life that has been the barrier, and there's two of them, as you see, and you're filling the blanks, for me following Jesus. But what I want to do is set it up in Genesis 29. I'm going to tell you a story, um, a background story for just a few minutes. Then we're going to read in Genesis 29 as we pick up the story. Now, there's going to be a test later, so you need to really get this down. It's all about this guy in the Bible by the name of Jacob. And Jacob, his mom and dad was Rebecca and Isaac. They're his parents. Now, there's also a couple of other ladies that will get involved named Rachel and Leah. And Jacob uh, had a brother named Esau. Esau was a twin brother. And he was born just a few minutes before Jacob was. Now, you say, well, what's the big deal there? Well, that was a big deal in that culture. Because if you were born even 30 seconds before the other twin and you were the boy, you got a double portion of everything that daddy had. And you got the birthright and you got the blessing. And so those were the things that Esau had inherited. Now, so Jacob, through a series of tricking his brother, in fact, his, his brother comes in from hunting and he says, I'm starving to death. Anybody ever said that? I mean, you really weren't, but you just felt like I'm starving to death. And so Jacob said, well, we can work this out. He said, you know, um, you've got a birthright, and if you'll sell it to me, I'll give you some of this chili I just cooked. So, no, truth, that's true. And, um, and so he said, well, what good is that going to do me? So he sold it to his brother, his birthright, ate it, went on his, about his business like it didn't matter. So even though Jacob has now tricked him out of the birthright, near the end of his daddy's life, Isaac, in order to get the blessing, he's got to trick his daddy again. Now, Isaac is an old man, and Isaac, the Bible tells us, is totally blind. He cannot see anything. And so, um, 
Jacob wanted to get the blessing, and his mother wanted him to get the blessing. So his mother, and by the way, I should have backed up and told you this. There were some problems here because daddy, Isaac, loved Esau, and Rebecca, mama, loved Jacob. And they, they were at odds with each other. I mean, you can, you can see already playing favorites in a family. And, and that's what was going on here. So anyway, he's got the birthright, looking for the blessing. And so Rebecca says to her boy, Jacob, here's what I want you to do. I want you to dress up like Esau. And I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get some, because Esau was hairy. The Bible says he was hairy, born hairy. Came out of mama's womb with hair all over him. And it was red hair. And so anyway, so um, Rebecca says, Jacob, I want you to go get, I'm going to get me the goat and I'm going to take all that hair off the goat and I'm going to stick it on your arms and I'm going to stick, true story. And, and by the way, some of you think this is weird. I mean, some of you don't know this story, you think it's weird. Well, let me tell you, those of us that know this, we think it's weird too. You know, we really do. But anyway, she stuck hair all over his neck and all over his arms and daddy's blind. So he goes in to get the blessing. And so he walks in the room with Isaac and Isaac, you know, is like, who is it, my son? It's Esau. He says, really? He said, well, the voice is Jacob, but the, the smell and the touch is Esau. And he said, yeah, you smell like the field. You know, and, and what I want you to do is go out and, 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 um, and, and, and get my favorite stew and come in and cook it for me. Well, long story short, that all happens. And he, uh, Isaac blesses Jacob. Jacob's in there. He fools his daddy. He gets now the blessing. Got the birthright, gets the blessing. So what happens? Esau says, okay, big boy. He says, here's what's going to happen. Daddy is old and about to die, and when he does, I'm killing you. True story. That's what he said. So Rebecca, the mama, hears this. She says, Jacobs, I want you to run 500 miles north, back up to where we all grew up. And my brother Laban there, uh, he's got two daughters, Leah and Rachel. And he's got two daughters, and I want you to go up there, and then you can come back when Esau's calmed down. Well, that's where we pick up the story. In Genesis 29 and verse 16. Now understand this. Jacob and Rachel and Leah are first cousins. That's his uncle. That's his mama's brother that he's going to. All right. Now it says this. Now Laban, that's his uncle, had two daughters. The older was Leah and the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. Now, some in translations and the better ones don't say that. It talks about that the eyes were really pretty, but they were just not the normal for that race. But Rachel was lovely in form. You know what that means? And beautiful. See, they tell us both. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I will work for you to Laban for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Isn't that something, guys? If you'll let me marry that daughter, I'll, I'll work for you for seven years. So Laban said, well, it's better that I give her to you than some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. So seven years has gone by. He's worked all that time to get Rachel, and we think that's romantic, don't we? Don't that sound romantic? That's kind of a Hallmark movie. Uh-uh. No, this, this was really deceitful. Uh, he charged about four times the going price 
uh, for a bride in that day. So that's the deal with Jacob. Now, verse 21, seven years is over. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to lie with her. Now, I don't have a lot of dating advice, as you know, that I give you. But there are single guys in here. And one day you're going to meet a beautiful girl and you're going to want to marry her. And I hope you'll do the honorable thing that you'll go to her daddy, your future father-in-law, and you will ask, her, ask him for her hand in marriage. What I want to encourage you is this. Don't use that line. Don't say to daddy, give me my wife. I want to lie with her. It ain't going to go well for you if you do that. So here we got this guy, Jacob, and he's kind of overwhelmed with emotion and physical desire for this one woman. And I've never thought about it till this week and, and doing some fine tuning to this particular message. What, why, why is this? Why is Jacob so anxious to get, get this done and get it consummated? Yeah, I know he's worked for seven years and watched her for seven years and not being able to touch her for seven years, but there's gotta be something else going on there. And then I remembered, Jacob didn't have his daddy's love. Did you know that? Jacob might have been looking for attention, looking for love in all the wrong places. Remember that? That might have been what was going on here. So anyway, we go down to verse 29 and verse 22. You think it was weird? It's going to get weirder. Laban, his uncle, kind of picks up on the fact that something's not right. And he, he knows this. So verse 22, so Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob. Remember Leah? Okay. And Jacob lay with her. And Laban gave his servant girl Zilpah to his daughter as the, her maid servant. But when morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Now, guys, again, don't ask me to explain how that could happen. I mean, how you would not know on your wedding night who was really in there with you. But, no, listen, I do know this to be true from the commentaries. They wore a veil. They wore th uh, clothes, thick clothes and a veil until right up the moment. And it was dark, totally dark in that place. So I could understand if that's true, you know, how that could happen. But beyond that, the Bible says it, so I believe it, that he didn't know. So here's, what do you think Laban said? Oh, really? Oh, didn't I tell you? We're not, we're not, we can't give our older daughter away first. She's got to get married first. So serve me seven more years, and I'll give you Rachel. Now, thankfully, he didn't have to wait seven years. After one week, because they had the weddings lasted a week. So after the week, then he was able to marry Rachel, but he had to work seven more years. Now, so what I thought about is this. This whole story is kind of a miniature of our disillusionment of what we are hoping for, hoping for, hoping for. And we wake up in the morning and it's Leah, not Rachel. I mean, no, I mean, if I could just get this particular title 
If I could just have that job, if I could just have that corner office, if I could just get married, if I could just have kids, it's about the things that we chase after instead of the Lord and following him and letting him be our everything. So we get all these different things throughout the course of our life. And often what happens is at some point we wake up and we realize in the morning it's always Leah. You know, it's not Rachel that we were hoping for. Now, what I want to do with that said is tell you the two main things that have kept me. And I'm going back now to 1981 when I was ordained and got my first job as a senior pastor in Colorado. I'm going back there and the years leading up to the beginning of Gulf of the Lake Church and just let you know that there are two main things that were going on in my life that kept me from really following the Lord Jesus. And if I had to put a name to it, it would be this. It was working for the approval of people. Even in ministry, working for the approval of people. So what I want to do is tell you the two things. You can write them down as we now get to them. All right. If, if you are living your life not to follow Jesus, but for the approval of other people, number one, you're going to be destined for mediocrity. Graduates especially, listen to this. You live your life living for the approval of other people and, and you are destined for mediocrity. When, we moved, when I moved back to Crystal River here and we were getting ready to start Gulf to Lake Church, a new church called Gulf to Lake, and I was 43 at the time. The problem was that I grew up in very traditional church, in a traditional church. And I pastored for 10 years a very traditional church. I was reading two books and trying to prepare for the start of this church. The one book that I was reading was called Rediscovering Church. It was by Bill and Lynn Hybels. He was the guy that started the Willow Creek movement. Some of you don't know about that, um, but that was a big movement back, believe me, back then. And I was reading about church and how it could be. At the same time, I was reading a book by Chuck Swindoll called Rise and Shine. And I was at the place in that book where he said, and this was the week that we were getting ready to launch. He said, if I were starting a church again, I would tell people that I want to be biblical in my content. I want to be authentic in my nature. I want to be gracious in my attitude. And I want to be relevant in my approach. He said, in fact, it would be contagious. Now, if y'all, any of you have been around here back then, you know that we had bumper stickers printed saying it's contagious. And it was on cars all over the county. And it created a lot of in interesting discussion. What do they mean? What is that? What is, you know? So that's what we did. And if you look at our letterhead today, nearly 30 years later, the bottom of our letterhead has those same four points because it just resonated with me. Yeah, I want to be biblical in what we say. I want to be real about it, authentic. I want to be gracious to people because some won't agree with everything. And I want to be relevant and how we approach and how we do things. So the whole time, you know, I'm reading these books and, and I'm thinking, this is it. This is it. This is the kind of thing that I want to be a part of. 
This is what I want to give my life to. I didn't have it all figured out. I didn't know how it would all flesh out, but I'm, I'm getting to something. We were getting things in order to start. And we had the first service on the first day of January of 95 in our home. And we met three Sundays in our home. And then we had advertised that we're going to open up to the community in Metacrest in the banquet hall. Now it's a business over there, but the, the banquet hall, we're going to meet there. And um, we had had 12 people in our house. And um, so we got 45 chairs and we folded, uh, unfolded them and spread them out real wide so it would look like a lot of people there if 45 filled them. And that first Sunday, as you all know by now, 192 people came and to, to fill those chairs. But here's the thing. Two weeks later, a pastor calls me and he says, Lord, I just want to tell you something that I heard. He said, and he mentioned a couple of other pastors' names. And he said, I just want to hear, get you to hear, he said, in case anybody brings it up. But here's what they were saying. It won't last. It was just, those people were just curiosity seekers and that won't last. He doesn't know how to start a church. Who does he think he is? <laughs> That's what was said. And I had never, listen, I had never heard God's voice, you know, before, but I feel like that, that what he was speaking into my heart was, you need to decide to follow me. You need to decide to not let comments, are you going to, in a minute I'll tell you, are you going to roam the herd and do what the herd does, or are you going to break out? And are you going to stay, just stay with me? And I'm going to show you step by step because I didn't have a plan. You know, a lot of pastors, they start a church and they've got a two-year, three-year, five-year, ten-year plan. I don't even know if I'm going to be here tomorrow, much less a five-year plan. You know, so it was just, okay, Lord, this is how I believe you really want to do it. You know, you will, you will control circumstances until it happens the way that you want it to happen. So the Lord was like, you decide are you going to live your life for me uh, and, and follow me or for the approval of other people, which is what I'd been doing you know, for a lot, a, lot, a lot of years. So I don't know what words people may use to describe Gulf to Lake Church today, but I sure hope mediocre is not one of them. And I, and I believe that's probably true. Now, if human nature is that we like to run in herds, did you know that? That's human nature. Um, so if you want to write this down, if you're going to follow Jesus, then from time to time, he's going to speak to you and you're going to have to break away from the herd, from the rest of what people are doing. And we had, we had to do that. I could spend time giving you about eight or nine main things that we had to do to break away um, that, that we were able to do, thank the Lord. Now, here's the problem. Are you ready for the problem? All right. The problem is this. When you break off from the herd, even if it's spiritual, church life, whatever, then the herd is going to do what the herd has always done, criticize. Amen? That's just going to happen. And none of us wants to be criticized. We want to have the approval of people. But at some point, you've got to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And so you may have to break away in order to get over being mediocre. Now I've got just a, a few minutes, so let me, let me finish. The second thing that I found in trying to live for the approval of other people was I'm going to be exhausted. And that's what happened. You're going to be destined for exhaustion. Now what you've all probably figured out by now is, is that you cannot get 
everyone's approval in your life. Amen? You're not going to get everybody's approval. And so I've decided that when things are going great in my life, then I want to be the first to give God the praise and the glory. And when things are going bad in my life, I want to be the first to give God the praise and the glory. Because I want to be, you can write this down, who he created me to be. Not who other people want to create me to be, but who he created me to be. And that, let me just tell you, young folks especially, that takes courage. Now, exhaustion. Let me tell you the story behind that. Some of you may remember this. In fact, many of you were here. For about seven years, we did three services in a row. We did 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11 o'clock, back to back to back. And it was exhausting. You know, the, the praise team was tired. You know, we were tired. I was tired. And I was at that point to where I was just about to make that big gap change where I said, you know what? I'm going to start saying no to a lot of things. And I'm going to do what God's called me to do, which is preach, teach, and, and do his will. So I'll rem I remember it was a Saturday night. And I was exhausted from just years of that, all that three services every Sunday. And I was coming back from a wedding. I had done a wedding in another county. I'm not going to tell you where it was because some of you will think, well, that was my wedding. Now, don't worry, it wasn't your wedding. But I was doing a wedding in another county, and I was on the way back. It was about quarter to 10. And I was crossing, never forget it, I was crossing on 44, uh, the Withlacoochee River at that bridge coming toward Inverness. And it just, I was overwhelmed, you know, the three services and knowing we're going to get up early in the morning and start all this over again. And, you know, and I'm worn out. And by the way, it was a very difficult wedding. There was a lot of tension in it and things like that. And I did something that I rarely do, just started crying. You know, just started crying. Why? Absolutely exhausted. And, and folks, if, if I could have heard a voice, if I could have heard a voice, I know exactly what it was saying. It was like God saying to me, Lloyd, you're doing it again. You're going right back. You're doing it again. Follow me. It's okay to say no to some weddings. It's okay to say no to some funerals. It's okay to say no to speaking engagements. You've got to follow me. And Matthew 11, verse 28 was the one that you know that came to me. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Would you pray with me? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Jesus says, come to me. I don't know what you're dealing with in your life right now, but please think about it. It's almost as if the Lord knows that some of you are chasing after something else. It's almost like he knows right now that some of you are chasing maybe after that relationship, hoping that it'll give you something that only he can give you. Or you're chasing after that job or that money or whatever. It's like he knew. And he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. Could we have just a moment of complete honesty? How many of you would be so brave as to raise your hand with me and say, you know what? In my life right now, I feel like I'm weary. I'm tired. 
I've got a burden. Anybody? I just feel like it. Yes, all over, all over. I just feel like there's stress in my life. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Just take my yoke upon you. I am humble of heart, and you're going to find rest for your soul. And folks, that's important because you have to understand that the exhaustion that you feel, it, listen, here's what I had to learn. It won't be healed by me taking a two-hour Sunday afternoon nap. It won't be healed by me taking a trip to the beach. I'm exhausted at the soul level. You're exhausted at the place that only Jesus can heal. And he says, come to me. Why don't we just come to him? Let's stand and sing this first verse and chorus of a song I know you know. When peace like a river tendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul it is well with my soul it is well Father, that's, that's the best we can ever ask for, that everyone in this room could say, it's well with my soul because Jesus is my Savior. Thank you for giving us this day and this time to spend together of following you. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.